Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. You can turn to John chapter 15. That's where, where we will be today. <laughs> John 15. <clears throat> I would like to pray real quick. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts. You would convict us, that you would encourage us, that you would lift us up, Lord, if we're down, that you would... Um, Get us in line if we're off track, that you would um, make your word come alive to our hearts. And um, we pray, Lord, that we would receive from you today. We thank you for the words which you've spoken. And um, Lord, we desperately need you every single day. Would you help us to, to uh, recognize that and live in that and receive from you? In your name we pray. Amen. So... Um, is there anyone in the room who does not like fruit? Like, I don't really like fruit. I'm not a big fan. See, I've met a lot of people who don't like vegetables. I don't like celery. I don't like onions. I don't like eggplants. I even know a guy who he used to hardly, like, he would eat zero vegetables in his diet. I'm like, how are you still alive? I, I, we would ask him, like, how is that possible? He's, I just don't eat them. I'm like, wow, I feel sorry for your stomach. And um, anyways... How many of you, your favorite fruit is strawberries? What about blueberries? Blackberries? Grapes? Apples? Peaches? Pears? Okay. So you guys like fruit here. Good. Oranges. We, don't, we can't grow them here, but we, it, we like them. Lemons. Uh, so we like fruit. So does God. God created the earth with fruit in it, right? Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there was also a tree of life there. And they were, he planted a garden for them. Um, we know that there's going to be fruit in heaven. That's what Revelation tells us. I believe it's literal fruit. Because God likes fruit. But his favorite fruit, does anyone know what his favorite fruit is? What kind of fruit? You got it. There you go, Teddy. Fruit of the Spirit is his favorite fruit. Some say pomegranate. Some say grapes. Well, today we're going to read about grapes. We're going to read about spiritual fruit. So let's read verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes or cleans, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So it's always important to know What's the context? Because we're jumping into chapter 15 of John. 
he's in the middle of saying goodbye to his disciples. Um, he just had had dinner with them, the last supper it's called. He had Passover, giving them the new covenant. And he also gave them a new command because we know that Jesus said the greatest, two greatest commandments are to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but also to love your neighbor as yourself. But then he tells them, I give you a new command, and that new command is to love as I have loved, okay? So that's a, a new standard that he gives. He also tells them that he's going to suffer. He's going to endure the cross. He's already told them multiple times, and it just goes over the head every single time. And so they had just eaten dinner. Now they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane to go pray. That was their custom place of praying. It tells us that, that Jesus went there multiple times. That's where he went to go pray. And we know, most of us that know that the disciples, they fell asleep from sorrow, but from tiredness, not being watchful. And it's possible, it's possible that Jesus is right in front of a, a grapevine. It would be a, a moonlit night. They would be able to see pretty decently, I guess, for just only having a moon. But it's possible that they have grapes in front of them. Jesus was king at this. He always used what was right in front of him to give an illustration, right? The seeds, the, the sheep. He used the fishermen. He says, you're no longer going to be fishermen. You're going to be fisher of men now. Um, he used the Passover, right? He takes what was old and says, this is a new covenant. This is a bread and, and wine, but there's meaning to it. Um, it could also be that they could see from the location they're at, the temple, and on the temple would be grapes decorated on top of it. That one, he would have, probably have to have good eyesight and have to have good light, but we don't know exactly. Those are two possibilities. But nevertheless, we know that he's talking about grapes here. He's talking about vine. And he's giving them a simple illustration because these were simple men. If you haven't uh, noticed that yet while reading the Gospels, these men needed things at a basic level, like at least I do, and some of us in here do. We need things put simply. And even then, what Jesus was telling them, they're like, I don't understand Jesus. But Jesus is patient and gracious with them. So what does he say? I, he starts out by saying, I'm the true vine. Probably in comparison to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is referred to as a vine. But guess what? The fruit they produced was really bad, was not edible. And so God, right here, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. I'm the one that produces the good fruit. And my father is the vine dresser. See, I love this, this um, illustration that he gives. Number one, God's the source of life and the source of growth. But the father is the vine dresser, the farmer, or the one who breaks up the ground, the one who is the gardener, the one who works with the plants. And, and there's, some point, there's a point to that. God, as the father, is also our gardener, where he is the one that's responsible for our lives, for our birth, our new birth, but our growth. See, we can get it mixed up where we think we're responsible for our growth where it's God who does the growing. It, we're going to see that he's the one that cuts, prunes. He's the one that obviously waters, right? So it's good to know that we are in good hands and that God takes 
joy and he takes um, delight in taking care of his branches, which would be us. How many of you have your own personal garden and you enjoy it? There's a lot in here. I, I know a lot of you. It's, it's a source of enjoyment and delight. And so it is the same with God. We are his source of delight. And that's incredibly encouraging, not because we're awesome people, but because he's working on us and he's making something out of us. There's an end result. Um, so it's encouraging to know whose hands we're in. We are in God the Father's hand, the perfect, the good gardener who knows what he's doing. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't, oh, I forgot to water today or I didn't cut when I should have. No, he knows what he's doing, and he is diligent in what he does. So in verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That word there is to purify. It does, so there's different meanings that it can have. But the simple explanation is that he takes away, he pulls off the branch that bears no fruit, zero fruit. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So do you think the pruning feels good? Do you think when God cuts that it feels good? No. See, James says, <laughs> he says, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials. Don't be happy. Oh, no one wakes up in the morning and prays, Lord, please give me a big, fat, giant trial or hardship in my life. I just really enjoy that. I know I'm going to grow through it, so just bring it on. I don't know a single person who says that. I've never met one. No one, no one gets on their knees and send me a trial, God, send me a trial. At least I, I, I never heard of that. But we know through multiple scriptures that God sends trials, hardships for a purpose. They don't feel good, but their end results are good. And that's an encouragement because when we go through hard things, it doesn't feel good. And it hurts. <laughs> Where you want to scream, that hurts, God, stop. No, you're cutting right there. Don't cut. But he knows what he's doing. He's wise. He's smart. Pruning can also mean the removal of good interest and activities. It doesn't have to be bad. It can be good things. It, it talks about here that you are already bearing fruit, so he cuts it that way that there will be more fruit. The quality and the quantity of the fruit will be greater. And once again, God knows what he's doing. So when <laughs> times of pruning cut and come, when he cuts, <sighs> he's going to make something good out of it. God does work all things together for our good. It doesn't always, how, do, how does that make sense, God? I don't know. But he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Verse 3 says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So back in chapter 13, <laughs> Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter <laughs> tells him, no, you can't wash my feet, Jesus. I'm not going to allow you to. I'm too good for that. Too good for you to wash my dirty feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, <laughs> you have no part of me. You're not going to be clean. And he's like, wash my whole body then, Jesus. Just pour the whole bucket on me. Um, see, being clean, being righteous is done by faith, faith in God. And 
they were already clean. They already had believed on Jesus. Had Jesus died on the cross yet? No, but they were, they had faith in Jesus already for salvation. And he tells them, you're already clean, but there's still more cleaning to do. Did you know that? Everyone in here who believes on Jesus, we're clean, but there's still more cleaning to do. It's true. We need some, some of us need some real deep scrubbing and cleaning and cutting. Oh, we all do. That's just the reality of it. We all need some deep cutting and cleaning. Want to know why? Because God is holy. God is transforming us into the image of Christ. And it's not fun all the time. It's just not. But we need it. We need God's cleaning in our heart. That's where it takes place, in our heart. You know, the Bible talks about in Ephesians that we are to be washed by the water of the word. It says that the husband should wash their wives, but we all need washing of the word. We need the renewing of our mind. We need our minds changed, and that is by reading your word daily, I would say, daily cleansing. I like what um, this pastor said, David Guzik, he says, the word of God is a cleaning agent. It condemns sins, it inspires holiness, it promotes growth, and it reveals power for victory. And Jesus washes us, he needs to wash us all the time, because we get dirty all the time. We need that, re- that constant renewal. So, so the question is, is, are you allowing God to do that? Are you picking up your Bible each and every day, not because you have to, because you get to, because he wants to speak to you, because he wants to wash you? Are you making that a habit of your life? So, sure, some things are hard to understand. I don't really understand that. Well, there's great resources like Blue Letter Bible, and there's a great resource like the Holy Spirit and prayer and asking other people, what does this mean? But that shouldn't stop us from reading God's Word because there's plenty that we can understand. So are we reading? And it isn't, oh, I have to read today. I have to. It's like, it's God's words to us. And he knows we need them. You know, Jesus said that man cannot live by bread alone. We can't only live off of physical food. We need spiritual food, right? Some of us eat a, I eat a lot during the day, like snack, meal, snack, snack, meal, snack, snack, meal. So do my sons, they eat like crazy. And, uh, but we need that meal, snack, snack, meal, snack, snack. We need that continual feeding upon God's word and that cleansing of God's word. And that's how we're changed. It's reading his word, the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And it's that simple. (laughs) But it takes time. It takes time and faith. So he will cut, he will clean by his word. And um, I love verse four. It's it's really been a, a verse I've been working on and God's been working in my life. It says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So I like how this, the ESV study Bible put it. It says, abide means to, to, excuse me, abide means to daily have a personal relationship with Jesus characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. I also love this other definition or description. It says, abide means to humbly, consistently, persistently depend on. 
I can say it again. Abide means to humbly, consistently, persistently depend on. (laughs) It's just been a great reminder for me that we can't do it on our own. You ever experience that? You try really hard, but you fall short? It's because our flesh is not, cannot produce any fruit of the Spirit. We, a lot of us know the right thing to do, but sometimes we struggle, we struggle with the resource to do it, the power to do it. And the problem is, is, is it self trying to produce it? Or is it the Spirit trying to produce it? So, Jesus is talking about, for sure, the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And guess what? We are helpless and hopeless without the Spirit. <laughs> it says the works of the flesh of, of, of us, and it gives this whole list of, you know, all these sins, the the lying and the coveting and the lust and the murders and the anger and the wrath. That's all results of the flesh. There are other fruits that the Bible talks about, such as Romans 1.13, the fruit of sharing the gospel. There's the fruit of holiness, holiness as a fruit. That's Romans 6.22. In Romans 15.28 and Philippians 4.17, it talks about Financial giving as a fruit. In Hebrews 13, 5, it talks about a continual sacrifice of praise to God is a fruit. See, giving sacrificially, being holy, sharing the gospel, um, and then all the list of the fruit of the Spirit are not a product of our own striving and efforts. We We all know this, but it's good to be reminded that I can't do it alone. And that's why he says over 11 times in this chapter, he tells them, abide in me. Abide in me. It sounds, it's like, you know, you might hear me or Pastor Mike. You're like, those guys sound like broken records. While Jesus here is saying it 11 times in this one, one um, sitting, he's like, abide in me. Want to know why? Because it's pretty important. Want to know why? Because I'm about to leave. He's telling I'm about to leave. But guess what? You can still be connected to me. And in the end, it talks about how he's, the Father and the Son are going to send the Holy Spirit. So this abiding is a daily, <laughs> moment by moment thing. And, and it's not a burden. It's actually an encouragement that I can't do this, God. I need you. <laughs> and he's working through us, in us. And he's going to help us. That's what it's about. I'm going to help you produce this fruit. I'm going to do the producing in your life. You know, It says right here, you cannot produce fruit of yourself or itself. The branch, it only has one job, and that's to produce fruit. It's not to look pretty. <laughs> it's not to hold things up. It's to produce fruit. And I've shared this before, but if you go out in your garden, if you go out to your trees, the fruit trees, you'll never, ever hear them groaning, more fruit, more fruit. Come on. You can do it. Try a little harder. Giving themselves a pep talk. Just try a little harder. Just give it a little more umph this time. No. But we do that. Just try a little harder this time. Just give yourself more rules and you'll produce some fruit. 
just try harder, we tell ourselves. Maybe we don't, we, we don't think that exactly in our brains, but that's ultimately what we do when we're trying to produce fruit by ourselves. I'm gonna, I gotta be a better husband, try harder. I gotta be a better wife, try harder. I gotta be a better worker, try harder. I gotta be a better Christian, try harder. I gotta share the gospel, try harder. But we can't produce fruit apart from the vine. It's that life source flowing to us. See, we know that we need grace. We need the spirit for birth, right? New birth. You can only be born by the spirit coming inside of you. Well, we need the spirit. We need grace for growing. Another way to put it is justification. That's being made declared right. We know it's by face through grace right? Faith. It's by grace through faith. <laughs> well, the same, through, same thing is true for sanctification, the growing, growing of fruit, growing in character, growing in God. It's through his spirit and grace. And that's God's doing, but what about our doing? Well, it's as simple as this, having humble faith. Can't do it on my own. I need you. I'm trusting in you to provide this for me. Is that hard? No. Do we make it hard? Yes. Do we try on our own? Yes. Do we fail? Yes. <laughs> but there's, there's abundant life. There's abundant resources for us. But yet we want to try to pull up the bucket from our own self-effort when there's a, there's a fountain flowing. It, Jesus described himself that way. He says, I am living water. Out of me flows life. And it's, it's a great encouragement. I, I really pray that this is a great encouragement that we're just being reminded. Jesus is just giving us a whole bunch of reminders that I'm here for you and you can't do it alone. <laughs> oh, but it takes humility. I need your help, God. I can't be a good husband. I can't be a good father. I can't be a good wife. I can't be a good mother. I can't be a good worker. I can't be a good Christian apart from you, God. And I need you today. I need you right now. <laughs> in verse 5, it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. He says again, abide in him. He says it again, you can't do anything with spiritual impact. Yeah, sure, people can build empires and buildings and lives for themselves, but you can't do anything spiritually without God's help, without abiding. And then he says, if, there, if someone does not abide in me, he's going to be cast out as a branch, and he's going to dry up, even though he's already dry, and he's going to be chucked into the fire. And, um, in verse 2, it talked about taking away, and I believe the best explanation for this, some people say, oh, it could be that, you know, how the Bible says in Corinthians that our works will be burned up if they're in the flesh, but if they're done by the Spirit, that there will be gold and, and good stones, whereas if they're done in the flesh, they'll be burned up. It doesn't really sound like it fits in here it sounds like this person doesn't have life there's no signs of life here 
is what Jesus is saying. There's no evidence, so guess what's going to happen to them? Cut, thrown, eternal fire. I believe that's the best explanation for what he says here. You know, Jesus believed in a literal hell, a continual torment for souls who reject him, those who don't want him, those who don't abide in him. And so I believe that's the best explanation for the branches being tossed into the fire. And that's, <laughs> that's intense. It is. But those people don't want to abide. Those people don't want God. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever, or you ask what you desire, not whatever, and it shall be done for you. Hmm. So, Jesus, you're saying that if I just ask for a million dollars, that is coming my way. No. He's talking about abiding him, abiding him, abiding him, abiding him, abiding him. And then he tells us now, you can pray. You can ask what you want. When we're in line, when we're in fellowship with God, prayer flows. See, when prayer is hard, there's probably something going on in your life that God needs to clean and pure and take out and work on. But when that, <laughs> knowing that God is available, knowing that He's kind, knowing that He hears with compassionate ears, He's always available 24 7, eight days a week. He's there, and <laughs> he says, pray what you, what you desire. Our desire is going to line up with God's desires if we're abiding in him. It's as simple as it goes, and it's going to be done. Pray. Jesus taught him how to pray already. In Matthew chapter 6, he told him, pray like this. Our Father who's in heaven Thy, your kingdom come, not my little kingdom, what I want done. You do this, do that, Santa Claus. No, he's not Santa Claus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to do what you want to do, God. That's my ultimate prayer. That should be our ultimate prayer. God, what do you want to do? Oh, I, God, you want to. I, I read in your word that you like people to be saved and you like the gospel to go out. So I pray for my nephew. I pray for my grandson. I pray for my child. That's aligned with his word, right? And he's going to answer accordingly. Or, I pray, Lord, that you provide for me. Well, tell us in his word that he will provide for us. And that's a great um, key in prayer is praying the word of God. What has God already promised? Well, ask him for it. What has God already said? Talk to him about it. There's two conditions given for answer prayer. Abiding in Jesus and his words abiding in us. So maybe you're struggling with prayer today. Maybe you're like, man, my, I haven't really been praying the way I used to or that I know I should. I like doing this in prayer. Thanking God for the way he deals with us, his attributes. It could be as simple as, God, you are holy, and thank you for making me holy. God, you are loving. <laughs> And I don't deserve, deserve any of it. You are powerful, God. And it could be that simple. You are at, with true, genuine faith. That's praying. Or God, I know that you have all power. I know that you have all wisdom. And I need some wisdom right now. That's part of abiding with it. We're in connection. We're in fellowship. It's this uh, 
back and forth type of deal. So verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So you will prove to be. The way you know disciples is by their fruit. Jesus said that. In another passage, he says, Bad fruit doesn't come out of a good tree. And good fruit doesn't come out of a bad tree. Said, I said it kind of weird, but he said that. <laughs> that you'll know that you're my disciples. He even said, you'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. That's fruit. That's evidence. See, you could say the fruit of the Spirit or the evidence of the Spirit because it's visible. You can see it with your own eyes. And this is... <coughs> Has anyone ever had this burden? I just want to please God. I just want to be pleasing to God. It's a good burden. It's a great burden. I want to live my life, surrender to God. But what's your will, God? What's your will for my life? I really want to know. Verse 8 is that you would bear much fruit. <laughs> That's the will of God, that you would bear much fruit in your life. Not by, uh, just try a little harder. But by his spirit, by him abiding in us. Verse 9 says, I think this is a very, very powerful and awesome verse. As the Father loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. That's an awesome verse. Tremendous truth. Something that we can hold on to. Are you a disciple of Jesus today? Can you honestly say that? Well, guess what? As the Father loves God the Son, so does God the Son love his disciples. Loves you, his disciple. And I'm like, they, they messed up in, in translating this maybe. Did they write that right in there? Are you sure they, they wrote that right? Because that's an intense love. That's an eternal love. Right? There is no beginning, there's no end to that love. It's constant. It's close and personal. See, God isn't a billion trillion miles away off. He's here today. And if you believe in him, he's in you. God's love is unchanging. It, it's not, some days I love you, some days I don't. You, you remember that? Where you pulled the flower, they love me, they love me not. They love me, they love me not. Some, oh, things are bad. God doesn't love me. Things are good. God loves me today. Things are bad. God doesn't love me. Things are good. God loves me. Is it not a real thing that people do, that we do? But reminding ourselves that we can be rooted and grounded in his love. It's not in and out. Maybe, they, maybe if you're a good boy, maybe if you're a good girl, you'll get some love today. Nope. Because we have Christ's record on our behalf. And God treats us that way. I, it's, a, it's a great encouragement. <laughs> but are we trusting in that? Is, is it, are we trusting in that truth or is it just a concept? Yeah, that's good for other people, but for me, nah, not me. Couldn't be me. You know what I've done, God? Yeah, he knows what you've done. <laughs> Obviously. He's rowing every single detail of your life 
out before you were born. So, uh, David says in Psalm 139, he says, before I say it, you know it. Before I do it, you know it. If I stand up, you know it. If I go down, you know it. If I go into the heavens, you know it. If I go into the depths, you know it. And then he, he finishes off pretty much. He, he's kind of, yeah, he finishes off saying, how precious are your thoughts towards me, oh God. I can't count them. And it's like, really? That, that's, that's what you, he wrote that down. He was inspired by the Spirit, wrote it down, and it's the truth. <laughs> Whether we feel it or not. Whether you feel it or not. Daily. Man, you're wanting me to have faith, God. You really are. <laughs> he wants you to have faith in that. Trust. Faith means trust. That's, that's just, that probably was so overwhelming for the disciples. Okay, we know that Jesus loves his Father. In the last chapter, he's talking about, I love the Father, I love the Father, I love the Father, the Father loves me, I love the Father, I love the Father. And they're like, oh yeah, this, we know he came from heaven. We know who he is, in part. But you love me the way the Father loves you? This is the first time they were hearing it, like, they knew that he loved them, but the way the father loved the son, that's new. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. He does say here, you got to show it. And the commandments aren't, oh, there's a big list and I have to keep all of these. No, you could keep it simple like Jesus did. Love God and love your neighbor. But, and then he asked, also added, love them as I have loved you. He's not really asking much for what he's done for us. <laughs> Obedience is a sign of love. It's not the only sign, but it is a sign of love. I love my father. I'm going to obey him with the right heart. Oh. I don't want to. I'm going to do it. And it's not, i got to keep these commandments on my own. It's keeping the commandments because you're abiding. You're connected. It's not the branch by himself. It's the spirit working inside of us. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So, those are pretty joyful Things that Jesus has been saying should cause us cause joy inside of us. See, this joy that Jesus is talking about is not the pleasure of, of life with just sitting in a hammock or ease. No, no bad problems in my life. Nothing hard. Everything's the way that I want it. <laughs> He's not talking about, oh, then, then you'll be happy. No. You know, Paul says it in Philippians. Uh, in the middle of <laughs> being chained up and being beaten, being attempted murder against him multiple times. I'm rejoicing. I'm carrying all joy. It wasn't because, oh, things are awesome right now. Yeah, I'm in chains. Look at this. Woo. No. I, I like how this person explained it. They said, we can have joy because there is an exhilaration that comes from being made right with God and knowing that 
he does love us and care for us. It's not because, oh, I have a lot of money or I'm in good health that I'm going to be joyful. No, it's because of who I'm connected to, because of who I'm abiding in. And I'm like, oh, you really want us to walk in faith, God, huh? <laughs> he does. He says all these things because he wants to encourage us, but he wants us to know, can't do it on your own. You need me, even to be joyful. He says it's, it's his joy. He says my joy. It's not just a joy. It's his joy. Like he said in the last chapter, it's my peace that I'm offering, not just a peace. I will give you my peace. I will give you my joy. And, okay, God, I want some. <laughs> I want some. But it's done by faith, in humility, through faith. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Once again, Jesus is saying the same thing over and over and over. <laughs> Love one another. He says it in verse 11. He says it in verse 17. Because we need to be reminded of it. You see, love for one another is not because that person is such a great person. I really want to love him right now. No. Love for one another is God working in, in and through me. And I'm going to love you no matter how you're acting. Right? Like how a father and mother should be. I'm going to love you when you're bad and when you're good and in between. And that's the love of the father. That's the love of the son. And he calls us to that. It's not, oh, that person is so nice. No, that is, that's a mutual love. This here is talking about agape love. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they've done. I'm going to love them. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to be kind. Jesus says, um, when it says to love one another, it also means to be sacrificial. He's, it says right here in verse 13 that he demonstrate, he's going to demonstrate the greatest love, and that's laying down his life for others. He's giving his life completely. He's putting everyone else above him. And we are called to do that in our homes, at our work. Non-Christians, Christians, I'm going to put others before me. It's called dying to self. Once again, it's not something we can do on our own. <laughs> It's something that we participate in. Yes, God, I need to die to myself. Now kill me, <laughs> kill my flesh. Because <laughs> guess what? I want to let my flesh live and do what my flesh wants. But I'm going to put this person above me. I'm second. Jesus, Jesus demonstrated that perfectly by dying on the cross. Ultimately by dying on the cross. He left his rights. He left his privileges. He left his glory came down for us. That's an encouragement. <laughs> but that's also an example for us. And we're only, we love because God loved us first. We're not mustering it up. <laughs> we're not striving. 
We're allowing it to flow in and through us. Verse 14, he gives them a new privileged position. See, he, he says, you're no longer, no longer do I call you servants. And the idea here that he has is a servant, they're just told, do this, do that, jump this high, dig this hole, make me some food, and you do it. No questions asked. Why? No questions asked. Just do it. Whereas a friend, let me explain to you why I'm digging this hole. Let me explain to you what I'm doing with this preparing of food. And so um, he gives them a new position and that he gives them insight into God the Father's plan. And that's the idea of being called a friend is they're in the know. They have God giving them insight. And so they're his friends. Um, there's only two people in the Old Testament who are really called friends of God. We all pretty much know that Abraham was called the friend of God, right? He talked to God face to face. There was also Moses where he talked to God face to face. And those are the only two guys out of all the Old Testament where it refers to them in the New Testament as friends of God. But here, Jesus says, if you're my disciple in the New Testament, you're my friend. It's like, whoa. But uh, once again, um, you know who I am? You might say, oh, I'm slow. I don't really understand all that the Bible says. And how could God call me his friend? Well, guess what? The disciples themselves, they were slow to understand. Jesus says, like, why don't you understand this already? I've been with you this long and you don't understand. The disciples were selfish. They were saying, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Let me have a position next to you in your kingdom, Jesus. That's what one of John and James um, mother asked John and James, I think. I know it was John and forgot the other guy's name, the brother. Anyways, they wanted position, high position. Look at me, Jesus. I'm pretty awesome, huh? No. <laughs> they had empty promises. You ever had an empty promise to God? I'll do this for you, God. I'll do this for you. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm going to do this for you, God. Eh, doesn't happen. Peter was a great example of this. I will go with you until the point of death. He says, nope, you're going to deny me three times. That you, that you even knew me. Not that you're one of my disciples, but you, didn't, you say, I don't even know him. <laughs> and these are, these are the men, because they were just fighting in the, like two chapters back, like the same night. Oh, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. These are the same men that he says, you are my friends. I love you. <laughs> It's like, oh, that's encouraging because I am messed up and so are you. We're all messed up. We're all sinners. But the love that God has for us, the kindness that he has towards us, oh, it's refreshing. And guess what? His kindness leads us to repentance. His kindness is intended to change us, change our hearts, change our minds, change our attitudes. That's what his kindness does. It doesn't say, oh, yeah, God has all this kindness and goodness. I'm going to go sin. No, you were made dead to sin. Don't walk anymore. Sin no longer has dominion over you. Now live in grace, under grace. And that's, it. that's what it's all about. It's his mercy and his grace. You're my friends. Who are we? Right? David says, who am I that you would even consider me God in the Psalms? But here in the New Testament, he says, not only do I consider you, but you're my friend. 
that's pretty radical. And Jesus is saying radical thing after radical thing. And we're like, these guys are like, did he? Are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? I like uh, verse 16. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And there's a reason why I chose you. And it goes back to the beginning. He says, to bear fruit. And he would want much fruit. That you would bear much fruit. See, the people of that time, and even today, when they liked the teacher, they would go to his teachings, right? And people do that. Oh, I really like this teacher. Or even online, I really like this teacher, so I'm going to keep on listening to him. I like the style of this church. I like the way they teach the word. So the audience would choose the teacher, whereas Jesus is choosing the audience. So this was backwards for them. And it wasn't like, oh, we made a great decision. We're really smart in choosing Jesus. No, God chose them first. God chose us first. That's what it says in Ephesians. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He takes delight in us. It's not, oh, God has all these rules for us and he just wants to hammer us whenever we do wrong. No, he's a loving. He has this love that flows out of him and is available to us. Man, let us not treat. Let me not treat. I hope you don't treat it that way. It's like, oh, yeah, I got to go to church. I can, you know, read my Bible in the morning, pray, and get on with my day. Where there's this loving, living God available to us at any moment of every day. And that's, that's just a glorious thing, that he chose us before we chose him. Um, in verses 18 through, yeah, I'll just read it. So it says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If, the, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake or on my account, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have known they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which I did, no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. He continually coupling himself with him and his father. He's saying, be prepared, boys. Because he's about to leave and they're... There's going to be a lot of good and a lot of bad coming. You read the book of Acts, you'll, you'll know that. The bad that's coming is they're going to get beaten. They're going to be jailed. Not because anything they did, but because of who they believe in and trust in. And it's Jesus. And it's not necessarily the words they say. It's who they're talking about. It's Jesus. Remember, Jesus never did one thing wrong. Not one and, and how did they treat him? With wrath. They tried to kill him multiple times, but he says it's not appointed 
is not time. That's what the world does. They hate good. Evil hates good. Good hates evil. God hates evil. But here, Jesus is speaking of, they're going to hate you. Be prepared. He's warning them. He's giving them good warning, advanced warning. They're going to come after you. But once again, if you're abiding, you'll be able to endure it. If you're connected to God, connected to me, you'll be able to endure it. And we shouldn't go searching for persecution, but we shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes. Right? We should stand up, we should speak out for what God says. But we should say, come and persecute me. No, don't bring attention to yourself, bring attention to Jesus. If you get persecuted, you get persecuted. Right? There's people all over the world, even north of us. We hate you, not because of necessarily what you say. We do hate what you say, but the person that you represent, we hate very much. And the hate behind these people, because it would be the people who killed Jesus, the religious leaders, is Satan. Hate comes from Satan. And all the craziness in the news, all the wild things that happen, there's someone behind it. It's a being. His name is Satan. But check this out. In verse 25, it says, But this happened. Oh, yeah. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in the law. They hated me without cause. There's no reason for the hate, but they brought it. And that's Psalm 69.4. Verse 26 says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who will proceed from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So, I like to play this game in the New Testament. It's find the Trinity. And it's here in chapter 15. Well, we've seen it a bunch of times. In verse 1 it says, I'm the true vine, Jesus is speaking, and my Father is a vine dresser. At the end of the chapter he says, the Spirit. And it talks about, he says, he, the Spirit, as in he, he will testify. Person, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's just a, a fun game because there are people who say, oh, there's not really a Trinity. It's not in the Bible. Well, on a lot of pages, it's a fun game to play. Look for the Trinity. He's there. And uh, almost all the um, epistles, you, you, you know, Paul starts off oftentimes from God the Father and from the Son. And then he talks about the work of the Spirit in the life of the believers. So it's just a, a fun thing. But he promises them. He had already promised them there's going to be help. I'm going to leave you, but not entirely. We're going to um, relate in a different way. Jesus doesn't become the Holy Spirit, but he sends the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and we absolutely need the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. That's what it says at the end, that the Spirit will testify, but you, my disciples, will also testify or represent me, speak out, be my representatives. So I want to um, read a couple verses to end. It says, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says this, God resists the proud. He says, nope. But he gives grace to the humble. And we're talking about this abiding, abide, 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 abide. The vine, the branches, the fruit. What God wants from us every single day 
is humility and faith. <laughs> he made it pretty simple. What God wants from me every single day is humility and faith. So that way I will be producing fruit and he's going to be happy. It's not, it's not a report card, okay? Let's not get this mixed up. It's not a report card. But there should be evidence of God's life in you. We fail. <laughs> we fall short of God's glory standards every single day. I don't know about you, but I do. <laughs> but God desires this fruit in our lives. It's delightful. It's tasteful to him. Right? When you, when you garden, when you plant your own fruit or vegetables, when you eat it, oh, this tastes better than the store. It's the same thing, but it tastes better than the store. Because you put in that work. God delights in us. Right? I get, I get that some people are, you know, push back like, God's not oozing over us, but he enjoys us. He enjoys our relationship. It says it over and over. In the Old Testament, it says that he dances and he sings over us, that he will. That's in Zephaniah 3.17. You might say that's out of context, but in, in the New Testament, it says there's a lot of rejoicing going on when the lost sheep is found, when the coin is found, when the lost son comes home. Right? Jesus didn't come and die on the cross to say, yeah, you know, you do your own thing and I'll do my own thing. No, he died on the cross to say, come and abide in me. I also like this verse. It's Micah 6, 8. It says, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God doesn't make it complicated. We do. <laughs> Oh, and that we just need to ask for forgiveness. God, forgive me for making it complicated. Forgive me for creating my own system of relating to you, right? Because we're under grace. We're not under the law. And I have been encouraged by reading God's word, and the pressure's off of you. We, we participate. We say, I need your help. God, produce this in me. Move this through me. Work this in my heart. But I'm not doing it. I'm participating. It's not, I just sit in my chair at home and just sit there all day long. That's not what he's talking about. Receiving from him is what he's talking about. Maybe, maybe you need to repent. The Bible word, repent. God, I have been doing it in my own strength. I've been trying to be a good Christian at my own strength. You know what? You need to repent. And he's like, are you kidding me? He's not going to say that. Because guess what? He already knows it. If you read Psalm 103, it talks about how he removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. It talks about how he's patient as a father. Maybe you are abiding, and I'm glad you are. Keep producing fruit. And guess what? God will prune us continually until we go home. But the beautiful thing about fruit, it's delightful to God our Father, but it's delightful to other people. When we're loving, when we're joyful, when we're patient, when we're gentle, when we have self-control, it makes life a lot easier for everyone. Not just 
you, everyone. Oh, there's peace in the home. There's peace at work. God didn't come to burden us. God came to set us free and give us life, and life more abundantly, this fruitful life. And, and maybe you've been struggling to pray. Maybe you've been struggling to read. Man, my trials, my burdens are weighing on me. There's someone there. He's ready to hear you. He's ready to talk to you. He's ready to speak to you. You go before God today. You pray. Lord, is there anything I need to change? Lord, have I been striving on my own? Lord, produce a lot of fruit in me. I know these things have been going on. This fruit has been provided. But I want you to do more, Jesus. For your glory. That's what he says. That you would produce much fruit for the Father's glory. Maybe you're a faithful Christian. Maybe you're loving Jesus. Excellent. Ask him for more fruit. Because guess what? He likes it. He likes it. So let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would not be burdened, but that we would be free. We'd be free to live for you, to love you. Thank you for loving us with this unending love, with this love that doesn't give up on us. We pray, Lord, that you would change us, that you would purify us, that you would make us beautiful grapes <laughs> and grapes out of our lives. Oh, Lord, but that you would bring honor to your name through our lives, that you bring praise to your name through our lives. And um, we pray, Lord, that if your word is not making sense to us, that you would make it alive in our hearts, that your spirit would do that. We pray, Lord, that if our prayer is struggling, that you would just open up the floodgates, Lord, that you'd speak to us and we'd speak to you. We know that, and that we would know that you're not angry, but that you're loving. God, change our, our wrong thinking of you in so many different ways, in so many different levels for so many different people, and make us to be just a sweet aroma to you, God. We want to live lives that are pleasing to you. And uh, we thank you for giving your life for us, for setting us free, for forgiving us, and would we live our lives for you in return. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you that we can abide in you, that you are our life. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.